How about that Stacy Peavy band? <clears throat> All right, if you have your Bible, please open to the book of 1 John. Go ahead and find the book of 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. Many of you know, uh, but Charles called me late Friday night and of course, Miss Becky tested positive for COVID, and so he's going to be fishing for the next couple of weeks, having a little vacation, and so, uh, you know, here we are while he's out on the lake, but that's all right. The title of the message is, The Proof is in the Pudding. We've heard that saying a lot, but if I'm honest with you, I've never stopped to think about what does that mean. Here's what it means. You can look at pudding, and it can have the right color. It can have the right consistency, it can have the right texture, but you don't know if it's any good until you taste it. Until you get involved, until you experience something, there is no proof. The series that we're currently in on Sunday nights is in the book of 1 John, and it is entitled, Prove It. It's one thing to say that we are a Christian, but it's something else to prove it by the way that we live our lives. The latest Gallup poll shows that 75% of Americans claim to be Christians. Three out of four people that we come into contact with every day have some type of profession of faith. But as we look around us, we realize that that is not real. There, there's no realness to that. It's words, but there's nothing valid to it. It sounds good, but there's no evidence of it actually being reality. I believe what we've done is this. We have brought the social media mentality into the church. On social media, you can follow someone on Twitter who you have never met and you have no relationship with. But you can follow them and you can hear their thoughts and you can hear their ideas. On Facebook, you can be friends with someone in which you really have no relationship with other than being friends on Facebook. I looked last night, my wife and I are on Facebook. We don't get on very much anymore, but we have 1,400 friends on Facebook. Now, that may sound good, but listen, I'm a realist. There are not 1,400 people who even like me. I know that. <laughs> Much less want to be my friend. And so what it is, I'm scrolling through, and I'm seeing these names and these pictures, and I'm thinking, who is that? I don't even know who that is. How are they my friend? It means nothing. There's nothing that benefits my life through these relationships. And there are many people who are involved in the church and they say, I follow Jesus. I want some of the teaching about Jesus. I want some of the ideas of Jesus, but they have no relationship and Jesus is making no difference in their lives. And so the book of 1 John comes and says, listen, if you're going to have a profession of faith, if you're going to claim to be a Christian, then your life needs to show it. 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He doesn't say that you may believe that you have eternal life. He doesn't say so that you might think that you have eternal life. He says, I write these things so that you will know that you have eternal life. Does your life prove? Is there the proof in the pudding in your spiritual life? I wonder, have you ever done this? 
Have you ever laid in bed at night and contemplated your salvation? Have you ever laid in bed at night and said, I wonder, am I really saved? One thing that I counsel with people the most about is the assurance of their salvation. Many Christians go through their life and they, they doubt the authenticity. They question their spiritual condition. About a year and a half ago, Maddox, our son, he's 10 now, he went through a stage. And every night we'd put him to bed and we'd say our bedtime prayers and we'd hug him and we'd kiss him. And then me and mama would go to bed. And about 15 minutes later, Maddox would come into our bedroom. And he'd start talking and I'd say, Maddox, baby, it's time for bed. And he'd say, but daddy, how do I know that I'm saved? And I'd talk with him and I'd say, well, Maddox, we know that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But God demonstrates his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that if we confess. And, and I'd walk through the, the Roman road of salvation with him, and as I walked through it with him, it, it hit with him, and he said, okay, Daddy, I feel better, and he went to bed. The next night, we did the same thing again. He came into my room, and, and he would be chit-chatting, and I'd say, baby, it's time for bed. But, Daddy, how do I know that I've been saved? There's a lot of us that do that. We know it's important. We want salvation, but we also want to know that we know that we know that we are truly saved. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You cannot live the abundant life unless you are certain of your salvation. You will not experience joy spiritually until you lay your head down at night and you realize I have been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm headed to heaven for all of eternity. Until we know that, there will be no joy, abundant joy in our life. I was thinking about it this week and I remember many years ago, my wife and I were flying to California and if you don't know me well, you may not realize this, but I am scared to death to fly. I just hate it. I do not like being in airplanes. I believe that God is with us down low, not so sure about up high. And so I want to stay down on the ground. And I remember I got on the airplane, and I had to sit by the window because I want to see those wings and make sure we're, you know, staying like this. And so I'm staring out the window, and I'm holding on to my seat, and there's a cold sweat upon my brow. And we start to take off, and we're headed up high into the heavens, and I'm about to lose it. I am, I am so anxious. I'm so nervous. But I notice I look around. Everybody else is acting so normal. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like they're reading a newspaper, or they're playing on their phone, or they're playing on their computer, and they're smiling, and they're laughing. And I'm thinking, don't you realize we're about to die? This could be the end of it right here. If something goes wrong, we're not going to make it. And so I'm in this cold sweat, and here's why. Because I don't know if I'm going to reach my destination. When you don't know if you're going to reach your destination, you're going to go through life anxious and worried and stressed. And so here I am. I'm stressed out, and my lovely wife has an idea. I love her, but this is what she did. She said, baby, I know you don't like to fly, so I brought our laptop, and I thought we could watch uh, some TV to make the time pass. And I said, okay, that sounds good. And so she flipped up the laptop, and she pushed play, and she had brought the show Lost for us. 
I'm not making this up. I promise you, the first scene in Lost is a plane crashing. That's what happens. The whole show is about a plane crash and people, and here I am, I'm a nervous wreck. And you know, I think she loves me. I just, I just sometimes I don't know for sure. When you read 1 John, if you are saved, it will give you assurance. But if you're not, you'll begin to wonder. And you'll begin to say, that doesn't look like my life. That does not fit me. And I believe the Lord will convict you through the book. So the test today we're going to look at quickly together is the test of love. The test of love in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 7 if you would. First John, we're going to start with uh, chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. He says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You read that and you see this dynamic that's taking place. There's the old and the new. He says it's, it's old, but it's also new. What's he talking about here? If you, let me just read it to you, but if you go back to John chapter 13, John says something that is very similar. John 13, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, listen, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So a, a new commandment. It's the one place that we see Jesus mention this word new in the gospel of John. And the command is simply this. We are to love one another. Now, love itself is not a new commandment. If you go back into the Old Testament, you'll see that love comes up over and over and over again. Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength. It goes on in Leviticus 19, but love your neighbor as yourself. All in the Old Testament, we see the idea of love. It is nothing new. But here we see there's a new aspect to it. So what is new in the idea of love? Here's what's new. Jesus brings the culmination of love. With Jesus, we see what love really is. You'll see in the verse, it talks about the light has come. First John says two things that God is. God is light and God is love. God, through the person of Jesus Christ, comes showing love, what love truly is, and brings light into the darkness. Darkness is extinguished when love comes in and overtakes it. So the reality of love has existed since the very beginning, but there is a new culmination that is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that I know how to love. It is through Jesus Christ that you know how to love in your life. There is this new mutual affection of the church that comes together and we are a people of love. Do you realize that? That as a church, we're to be loving. It ought to be that when people drive by on Loop 281, they look at this place and they say, I don't know, those are some weird folks. I don't agree with everything they believe or everything they say, but I know this, I know that they are loving. 
And too often the church is known for hate and not known for love. And so there's this culmination that comes through Jesus Christ. He sets the example. My question for you this morning is this. Do you love like Jesus? In your life, are you loving like Jesus? Think about the way that Jesus loved. The sick were made well. The blind were given sight. The lame were made to walk. The diseased were cured. He liberated those who were in bondage. He respected those in which nobody else respected. He saw value in women and children, which was countercultural to his day. He saw people with value and with worth and with dignity. And he didn't just say, I love you or I care about you. He had action to prove it. It says in Matthew 4, 24, so his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. We see what love is through the life of Jesus. Jesus shows the ultimate expression of love. Let me read to you out of Philippians chapter 2. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind about you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. By being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." That's love. He emptied himself and he showed his love for us. And I wonder, how could we change the world if we would just love better? How could Woodland Hills Baptist Church change Longview, Texas if we could just love better? If people would see us and they know that we are a loving group of people. Not that we're going to bicker and bellyache, and gripe, and be negative, and tear each other down. You know where love should start? Right here within the walls of this church. It ought to be that when somebody walks in this place, I don't care if they're black, white, Hispanic, I don't care if it's a man or a woman, I don't care if it's rich or poor, none of that matters. It ought to be that when somebody walks in these doors, they feel loved, and valued, and appreciated. If we're not going to do that, then we ought to just not meet together. We are going to be recognized by our love. And so, especially right here, this ought to be the most easy place to be loving. But let's be real, sometimes it's not. Churches have a reputation of being a place of hate, and that does not please the Lord. You remember the the movie Beauty and the Beast? It's probably been a long time, but maybe you've seen it. And there's this beast, and man, he is messed up. He's got a bad voice. He's got a bad attitude. He just has a bad outlook on life. And in comes this young lady, and she is beautiful, and she comes into his world. And do you know what she does for him? She loves him. She loves him. 
And because she loves him, this beast turns into a great man at the end of it. Now listen, I know it's a Disney movie. I'm not trying to put a theology on a Disney movie, but I want you to see there are beasts all around us. There are people who have no hope, they have no joy, they have no reason for living, and they're going through their life, and they're down as low as they can possibly be, and if a Christian man or a Christian woman would come and show them love, it would change their life. It would change everything about them if we would come and we would just show love. You work with someone who is just a pain in the rear and you don't like to be around them. What if tomorrow you go to work and you show love? It, it could change them. You're around people every day and what they need more than anything else, what they need more than your opinion, what they need more than your thought, what they need more than your criticism is that you would simply come in and love them because love is central to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is light and God is love. You'll also notice in the text, it says that the, the light is extinguishing the darkness. Listen, it's not just Jesus that is the light. The Bible says we are the light of the world. When we love, the darkness is shunned around us. There is a centrality to love in the Bible. But the next thing I want you to see is the foundation of love. Look back in your Bible. Look at verse 10. 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, the foundation of love. This is what it says. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Whoever loves his brother is the one that abides in the light. Now, what does it mean to abide? To abide means to remain, to stay, to last, to persist, to dwell, to endure, to continue. So John says this, the one that loves his brother, that's the one who is dwelling with God. The one who loves his brother, that's the one who is continuing in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, flip over, John chapter 15. We'd love for you to see this. Flip over, you know where it is, John chapter 15. I want to show you a connection right here. He says here in 1 John that whoever loves his brother is the one who's abiding in the light. 1 John says God is light, so we know that he's talking about abiding in God. Now, hopefully you're in John chapter 15. I'm going to summarize this just a little bit, but you ought to be able to follow along. John 15, beginning in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus is looking and he's got this analogy in his mind. And he sees all these people, many claim to be connected to God. But there are many who are not bearing fruit. They're not abiding. They're not real. They're not genuine. They're not authentic. And so he's calling out to them and he says, would you be real in your spiritual life? Would you abide in me? Would you be authentic? Would you do more than just say the right things? But would you have a genuine relationship with God? 
He says, show the legitimacy, the absoluteness of your faith by remaining in me. For many, their religion is dead and their religion is worthless because they're not really found in God. Can I just say this? There are many here at Woodland Hills Baptist Church who have no genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, that, that's tough, but that's scriptural. You know what Matthew 7 says? It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father in heaven. Then he says, on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not teach? Did we not drive out demons? Did we not go to church? Did we not uh, sing in the choir or be involved in a life group? But then I'll say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. You had a profession, you had a claim, but there was no proof to the pudding. There was nothing that showed the relationship in your life. Something is missing. There, there may be works of the hand, but there's no abiding to the Father. This word abide comes up over and over and over again in the Scripture. It says we show our salvation because we continue in the faith. Colossians 1.21, it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body, if indeed you continue in the faith. One of the ways that we show our salvation is that we persevere and we continue in it. Can I just say this? There's going to be times that you don't want to come to church. Amen? But the way that we show our spiritual reality is we keep on coming. There's going to be times that you don't want to be faithful to your ministry assignment. But the way that you show who you are is that you continue to serve day in and day out. There are many folks who have been at Woodland Hills for a season and then they left. And the Bible says that they left because they were not of us. I'm not talking about changing churches. I'm talking about they get outside the will of God and they want nothing to do with him any longer. And so John 15 says, if you abide in me, then you will bear fruit. First John says, if you abide in me, let me put some fruit on the vine, then you will be loving. That's what it says here in First John. If you abide in me, then you will be loving. You cannot be abiding and not be loving. Anybody in here know somebody who is just hateful? You know somebody who they're just selfish, they, they don't show care for anybody except themselves? You know what the Bible says? That individual cannot be saved. He says, if we're abiding in God, then we will be a people of love. And so the question again is this, do you really love others the way that Jesus loves? Heard about a guy and one day he was out on the golf course. He had a tee time, 10 o'clock, and so he gets up in the box, he gets his driver, and he's setting up to, to tee off. About that time, he looks up on the highway and he sees a funeral procession driving by. And so he drops his driver, he gets on his, his knees, he closes his eyes, and he puts his hand over his heart. And he stays in that position until the whole procession passes on the highway. And then he gets up, he picks up his driver, and he's ready to tee off. And his friend says, man, I just want to tell you, that was, that was very touching, very moving, the way that you honored that individual in that way. 
And the man looked back and he said, well, we were married 40 years, so I assumed that's the least I could do. <clears throat> you see, that's what I'm talking about. We got to love people. We got to show love, even if it means we kneel down for a few seconds before we hit the ball. We've got to be a people of love. The foundation to our love is that we are abiding in God. The more we are close and connected to the Lord, the more that love will be easy for us. Let me show you the third thing. Let me show you the stability of love. Back in verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Listen, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. That word stumbling is used about 15 times in the New Testament. It means that your actions cause someone else to stumble in their spiritual life. It means that somebody else is looking to you, and they're trying to grow through your life, but your actions cause them to stumble. And so what John says is this, if we're really loving then we will not cause someone else to stumble. It says in Romans 14, verse 13, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Decide right now that you're never going to cause someone else to stumble. He says if you're walking in love, then you will not drive someone away from the presence of God. Think about this. When somebody spends time with you, do they leave closer to Jesus or do they leave further away from Jesus? When somebody watches your life and they watch the way you talk, the way that you react, the way that you respond to adversity, do they leave closer to the Lord or do they leave further from the Lord? He says, love is what keeps folks from stumbling. Now, it doesn't mean that we lose our opinion. My wife can say things to me that I hope you won't say to me, but she can say it because I know she loves me. We're at a basketball game yesterday, and sometimes I get loud and I start yelling, and I'm like, Mason, get the ball. Get the rebound, Mason. And she'll say, baby, not so loud. Be quiet, okay? And, and I know she loves me. She's trying to make sure I don't look like an idiot, and so... I get that. But if somebody else says, hey, why don't you be quiet? I'm not going to accept it the same way. Here's what he says. When we love, we're not going to cause someone to stumble. What a vast view of love. If I just love well, people will be brought to Jesus through my life. Here's the problem. Many of us feel so entitled in life. And we say, it's all about me, so I don't care if you stumble or not, because this is my life. You know what Paul said in Romans 14? He said this, it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Paul says, if eating a steak causes a brother to stumble, then I'm not going to eat this steak. Now, most of us would say, I don't care if they stumble or not. I want this steak and I'm going to eat it. But there's this mindset that says when you love people, you don't want to cause them to stumble. What in your life right now causes someone else to stumble? Is it the way you talk? Is it the jokes that you tell? Is it the way that you dress? Is it your attitude? What is it in my life? What is it in your life that causes others to deflect away from God? And then, do you love enough to change that in your life? If we abide in the light and we love, there will be no cause for stumble. 
I think there's also another side of this. When we love well, the world will look past our failures. There's going to be times we mess up. There's going to be times that we do wrong, but if we're known by our love, people will show us grace. I, I believe this. I believe, let's say, that I'm standing up here and I'm preaching, and let's say I just say something that I shouldn't say. Okay? This happened. It'll probably happen again. Let's say that I say something I shouldn't say. You're going to respond one of two ways. Either you're going to get really upset with me on that. Let's say I say something about you and, and it, it wasn't nice. I shouldn't have said it. You're going to respond and you're going to say, oh, he shouldn't have done that. But if you know that I love you, you know that I care about you, you know that I didn't mean anything by it, you're going to be able to show me a lot more grace. It says in 1 Peter that love covers a multitude of sins. It means that when we mess up, if there's love at the foundation of that relationship, love is going to conquer it. So love is not going to lead to this stumbling. And so we see that love offers a foundation. The last thing is this. Let me show you the enemy of love. Go back, verse 11. The enemy of love. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. I'm about to dance right up in here. That sounds good. All right, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The one who professes Christ and hates a brother, the Bible says, is walking in darkness. He is lost and he is blinded. In other words, you cannot love God and hate a brother. It just can't happen. The two cannot coexist together. I wonder in your life, is there anyone that you hate? Is there anyone that if they walk through this door or they walk through this door, your blood would start to boil? Because if you're honest, you have so much animosity towards them. The Bible says as Christians, we cannot hate a brother. We cannot hate someone else. Can I, can I just go a little bit further on this? This even applies to people of different political persuasion. <clears throat> All right, I know you don't want me to go there. I know it. But listen, <laughs> let, let me just be real with you for just a second, okay? Let me just tell you this. In my family... I've got people in my family who hate President Trump. I've got people in my family, and they love uh, President Biden. And they believe that President Biden is going to be wonderful for the United States of America. Now, my view is different. You know that. And I'm not trying to be political. I'm just saying in, I've got a family dynamic that there are differing views politically. And here's what we've allowed to happen over the last few months. We have had group chats and group text and conversations, and it has led to hard feelings. It has led to animosity. And here's what's terrible. We have allowed superficial politics to bring in disruption between a beautiful family unit, and that does not honor God. It does not please God. When we allow our differences to come in and separate where we don't feel love for each other, that is not honoring to the Lord. It doesn't mean that we don't have differing opinions. It doesn't mean that my view changes. It doesn't mean that I cannot say what I think, but I should do these things in love. 
It ought to be that if someone's different, somebody sees something different, they can know that we still love them. And what we see in politics today is we see people on this side and people on this side, and those on this side hate these people, and those on this side hate these people. And it ought to be that the church is in the middle and saying, I love you even if you see things different than I do. I love you regardless of that. I see value in you even if I don't agree with you. I can respect you even if my views are different than yours are. Does not mean that we accept it. Doesn't mean that we don't want changes. It doesn't mean that we don't stand up and say, this is not right. Listen, let me just, part of these first executive movements that we have seen the last few days, they make me sick. I believe they go against just about everything that I believe in. But at the same time, I can love somebody who supports President Joe Biden. I can love somebody who supports President Donald Trump. That's what he's saying. As believers, we're not going to get caught up in these superficial things, but rather we're going to show love and we're going to show value and we're going to show respect to individuals. Because why? Because God is love. We were sinful. That's when he died for us. We had nothing in common. We had nothing to give, but he showed his love toward us. And if the church would not be hateful, but would show love, maybe then we could start talking about some issues that really matter when we respect and we love other people. Don't let your political persuasion negate your spiritual influence. It's a tragedy when families are torn apart over something as silly as politics. Our spiritual life is not just the absence of sin, but 1 John makes it clear that our spiritual life needs to show by the way that we love other people. And so does your life show that. You know, when you look at things all around us, there's logos. Back in my iPad, there's an Apple logo. My clothes often have logos. You know, the Bible says that as believers, our logo is love. People will recognize us by our love. We ought to be a people of love, that they will see that, they will know who we are because of it. Francis Schaeffer said this. He's a great Christian apologist. He said that love is the final apologetic. It is the defense for which there is no defense. Let me ask you to close your eyes and and bow your head. I just want you to ask this question. Do I love like Jesus in my life? You say, well, what does that look like? Let me read to you out of 1 Corinthians 13. The Bible says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to move mountains, but have not love, then I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, then I gain nothing. For love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Here's the question. Do you love like Jesus? There's a proof of salvation in this. There's a proof 
if we are known by our love. Now, let's be honest. Some people are easy to love. There are some people that are just like us, and they think like us, and they talk like us, and they act like us, and they're easy to love. But what about people that are different than us? What about people that we don't agree with? What about people that everything in us is in contrast to everything that is in them? Can we still love? Can we show the love of God in that situation? I don't know how you need to respond. Maybe the Lord's convicted you and there's hate in your life. There's somebody that you're at odds with and the Lord is, is leading you to forgiveness. Maybe you need to pray. Say, Lord, give me the power to forgive in this moment. Maybe you look at your life and you say, you know what? I, I'm just selfish. I don't look to the needs of others. I'm not trying to build anybody else up, but rather I'm just living for myself. And if I'm going to be a Christian, I need to prove it by the way that I love others. Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together. Thank you for your word and how you speak to us. Lord, I pray that Woodland Hills Baptist Church will be marked by love. Lord, I pray as people drive by the highway, they'll look to this church and they will see people who know what it is to love others, to love genuinely, to love authentically. And so, Lord, I pray you'll challenge us on that. Show us what you want out of our heart and out of our life. I pray if anyone needs to join this church, God, that you'll lead them right here. If anybody needs to be saved, maybe through this test, God, they see that they have no genuine relationship. And I pray that today will be the day. So, Lord, I pray you'll have your will during this time. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand with us. Let's sing together. The altars are open, and I'll be right here at the front. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey trust and obey for there's no
Once again, thank you so much for being with us this morning. We will be back tonight, 6 o'clock, and so hope you'll join us for our service. After that, we have a church council meeting, and listen, I'm going to be leading that meeting, and so 